The stories of some of the world's greatest women unfold here. I am Annette Comer, your host, and each week, the untold secrets of success, strength, and boldness of today's powerful women are revealed. This woman didn't understand as a child she was low income. Everyone she saw had the basics covered, so to her, they were doing just fine. In spite of little extra money, her mom constantly told her she could be anything she dreamed of, and she was encouraged to read a lot, and going to college was never up for negotiation. As an adult, she thought she would be a lawyer, but instead she graduated with a communications and advertising degree. And as she explored what life might hold for her, she had an opportunity to volunteer at a nonprofit focused on helping children and their families cope in difficult medical situations and she loved the whole experience of giving of herself. Today, she is the president and CEO of a nonprofit and is walking a path to greatness as she leads the organization to the forefront of state-of-the-art programming in pediatric healthcare. It is my pleasure to introduce you to Michelle Hall-Duncan. Hi, Michelle, thank you for joining me today. Hi, Annette, it is so wonderful to be here. I am truly excited about this interview. I can't wait to get started. Yes, yeah, so I'm too. And we have limited time together today. So, and you have so much gold I want to mine, uh, Michelle. So I'm going to jump right on in. So, running a nonprofit can be challenging. So, my question to you is what type of leadership skills are critical in moving such an organization forward? Wow, that's a fantastic question. It is challenging. And I think that what I've learned is, first of all, you're dealing with people from all walks of life. Your donors, who could be millionaires, billionaires, down to your constituents, who could be moms and dads with children that are suffering greatly and that are low income. And I have to bridge the gap between those two types of people. I have to be the translator and I have to respect everyone that I deal with. I have to treat them with the utmost respect and understand who they are. So that's challenging. Leading a team is challenging. Making sure that everyone is on the same page is challenging. But what I love to do and I think is crucial in leadership is to listen. If you listen to everyone that you are involved with, you're going to come away with great nuggets. You're going to know how to you're going to know how to promote their interest in the situation, you know, because everybody has an interest from your donors to your constituents, to your hospitals, your doctors, your nurses, everyone has something that they need and want. And when you listen, you're able to provide that for them. Yeah, that's great. Great advice. And it's interesting how that listening piece is so often escapes leaders uh, because I think they are so much into their head of what they're wanting to accomplish. They forget <laughs> That they need all those other people to help them get there, don't you think? <laughs> oh, my goodness. So true. So true. You can't do it all yourself. And if you're trying to do it all yourself, you're in the wrong business. You do need help and you need to choose great people and you need to always check in and make sure that everyone is focused on the goal and they have their eye on the prize. And that's why listening is important because sometimes, honestly, leaders miss things. You can't know everything. You can't have all of the information. And so it's important to suspend your ego and listen to other people and listen to their ideas and how they're seeing the world. Yeah, I think that's that's great. So you mentioned teams, and I'm going to go in that direction for a second. So each leader has secrets as to how they effectively lead their teams. So do you personally find team building easy 
or hard? And then the second part of that, what is your approach to building a team that supports what you want to accomplish? Oh, yeah, I think that it is is definitely hard. You are dealing with personalities and different ones. Think about it like being a parent. And if you have, I only have one child, but I, I've seen people that have more than one. And you develop a relationship with each one. And it has to be unique to them. I try to make sure that everyone on my team has a relationship with me. If it's an inside joke that we consistently run, if it's, you know, me knowing something about their family or any type of connection that I can make with each individual team member, I find that that's extremely important because even though your job is work, it's where you spend the majority of your time and you have to look at it like a team, like a family. So that's what I try to do. That's my secret. (laughs) And does it seem to work for you most of the time? Yeah, it works for me most of the time. But, you know, it's there are times where the team, the family can get into a rut. You know, you can have toxic times. Sometimes you can get a team member that's just bringing toxic energy and you either have to address that team member directly and get to the source of why that may be. Sometimes it's external. Sometimes it's internal. Sometimes it's something that's going on that you can't fix. You know, you think about the pandemic, right? That's not something that we planned on that we would have wanted to have. But for instance, I'll find that some team members flourish with remote work. Others do not. I had to figure that out. I had to figure out how to pivot and assuage the fears of those who did not like being at home by themselves and to, you know, let the ones flourish who did. So it's just examples like that where you just really have to stay tuned in and it's like an engine. Just keep calibrating that thing. That's what you have to do. Yeah, I love that. And I love your your analysis of a team as being like a family, because when you frame it like that, you realize they have bad days, good days. They fight. They love. They challenge all the things that we all experience in our family units. That is exactly it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a good, bad and ugly of it, isn't it? So so do you feel that in the role that you are in, do you feel you're paid the same as men that run nonprofits? Um, You know what? It's really interesting. In nonprofits, first of all, our salaries are public, which is which is very interesting. I don't find any other industry where you can look up how much your, your, your counterpart makes. And it's a really interesting mix. I do find that when I look at higher paid nonprofits, I see more men leading them. It's very interesting that in all spaces, and I was having this conversation the other day about nursing, for instance, nursing used to be at one point a predominantly female profession. And then there was a shortage, men started to enter nursing, and all of a sudden it was a much higher paid field. So I do feel like the presence of maleness still still in this day and age brings more more compensation with it. So yes, in the higher paid organizations, you do see, I believe, more male leaders. I think other things go into play, how much money your organization raises and the percentage of expenses is based on what people are paid. But yeah, it is interesting. When you're looking at the higher paid salaries, the fellows are are hanging out in there. I'm going to dig a little deeper into that because I'm curious. You've sparked my curiosity now. Do you think that the men are paid more because they're bringing more value to the organization in terms of fundraising and stuff? Are they running a tighter business unit? Or is it that the women aren't asking for more? I, I definitely think the women aren't asking for more. And I have this conversation with women all the time. And I mean, you know, there is a niche 
of personal and corporate coaches that coach women to ask for more money. I mean, certainly, I also think that, you know, younger women, I hate to use it, but the millennial age, they're being taught to ask for their value and their worth. And I really still in this day and age cannot understand why we as women aren't doing that. I myself have been reticent to ask for that extra 10% to get my true value. And I know that I'm in good company. There are so many women who say the same thing that I didn't negotiate when I came on board, that I didn't ask for the extra bonus. I took what I was given. And I do find that men are taught to negotiate harder, to negotiate at the beginning, no matter what. I had a friend once who said to me, always negotiate until, you know, you you see them feel that pinch, like, oh, like I'm giving up something that I didn't want to give up. And so I think, you know, it's something that we ladies have to get out there and practice. But I also believe, in addition to the point that you made, that where there is more money, that is where men will go in nonprofit. They won't apply for the smaller organizations. They will, you will find them leading the larger nonprofits because of the compensation. So I'm going to dig a little deeper on this because you brought two things to mind. Um, (laughs) And I don't want to lose those thoughts. So the first one is, do you feel like that women don't ask for what they need and want? Is it a risk type aversion for women or is it a self-esteem aversion? I'm going to go with the latter because now being on the inside, to me, there hardly is ever any risk. When I have been negotiating with anyone, I always have a number in mind. I have a range, right? I know where my ceiling is. And I'll start in the middle, knowing that a person can ask for more. And if you don't ask for more, I'm not going to offer that to you. But if you do ask for more, I probably will. Because if I've gone through so much trouble posting the job, dozens of resumes, interviews, and I choose you, I like you and I want you. And it's so funny that we're having this conversation because that should translate when we're sitting in that seat. They want me. They like me. I need to ask for what I need or just ask for a little more because this is where I'm starting and where I start determines where I finish. Hmm. So isn't it interesting that when you can look across the desk at someone interviewing with you, you can recognize that uh, hesitation. And then when you're on the other side of that desk, (laughs) you kind of want to say shame on me type thing, right? Exactly. No, it really is. It is an entirely different animal. And I would love to understand even deeper why that is, because you know, and I know, Annette, there are tons of coaching sessions about how to get what you want, about how to negotiate. You know, that's the billion dollar self-help industry. That's the billion dollar, you know, leadership industry and, you know, job acquisition industry. And yet we still find ourselves sometimes hesitating. And I do believe that it is born out of the gender signals that we are sent as young women. And, you know, I'm of a certain age where I bridge, you know, that female empowerment, yet still, you know, as a little girl, you know, be seen and not heard. Don't play the same things that the boys play, you know, that whole thing where you're not supposed to do certain things. You're supposed to have limitations on who you are based on gender. And I think that it translates into that. Don't make waves. Don't make waves. 
And yet I don't think there's any risk in asking for what you want, particularly if you're just open and honest about it. Right. Well, and and just to give you my two cents on your analysis there, I agree with you 100%. And I and we could have another whole podcast conversation on the glitches that are in our, our subconscious programming for women. Yes. And, and that is something that I certainly in my work am passionate about working on reprogramming those glitches and, and partnering up with the right people that can help that happen because you're exactly right. Otherwise, it's just it's a it's a tape that keeps playing over and over, no matter how many self-help books you read and all of that for sure. space just because I got to dig a little deeper. I'm not through with you on this one. So I'm thinking about you made a comment on this question that you see the men in the uh, positions of nonprofits where the higher pay is. So and you've said that you don't think they bring any additional skills that women don't have that are in the lower paid positions. So what do we need to do to encourage women to step up and ask for those? They should compete one on one with those men for these higher paid positions, because it kind of sounds to me like they settle. Yeah, I think women settle all the time still. I think they settle for a lot of things. And I just think that men are not born with, if if we're honest, like how many men walk around and go, oh, I just don't look great today or I don't feel this or I don't feel that. All the crazy things we hear our our friends say. Men believe that the sun rises and sets with them often. You know, you always (laughs) hear their boasting and bragging. And maybe it's just, you know, when you grow up as a male and you're, I don't know, playing sports or, or whatever, you know, they're always, they're always one up in each other, you know, when they're on the basketball court talking trash. And I think that that literally helps them. I think that that type of behavior helps them to plant their flag and to establish their presence. And so I think when they walk in somewhere, they, they truly do believe, you know, I'm here and it's it's great for you to have me. You're so lucky. And I'm going to ask for what I want and I'm going to go for what I want. I'm going to go for what I want. I just don't see that when I'm listening to guys, guys that I serve on boards with, everything. Like they seem so confident about who they are. Even when you're looking and you're like, I don't, I don't see it. <laughs> I don't but, see that. <laughs> you see that, you know. I think it really is something to think about that I see played out sometimes in the young uh, young children that I see. Sometimes I'll hear a mom say, you know, don't do that or don't don't run outside like the boys do because you don't want to get a scratch on you. You're too pretty for that. Mm. What is that saying? It's saying that my looks are what I need to lead with and preserve, not my brain, not my body. Because if you're running outside and you're playing, you're building your muscles, you're building your brain muscle, all of that, stay in the house and stay pretty. Why well, I got news. Nobody's coming to rescue you. This is <laughs> the ball- this is not Cinderella, is it? Yeah, yeah. It's not like Bridgerton, the new series. <laughs> you know, the women are the women are pretty, pretty uh, clever in Bridgerton, which I love. So um, so yeah, it's uh it's interesting. I like this conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you you said something that I want to go into a little different tangent, but I want to stay in the vein of exploring. Uh, you told me that you see the younger generation going for it, but you also told me in an off conversation that 
you often see this change as they move forward in their careers. So my question is, has this happened to you as you have moved through your career? I think once you get the lay of the land and you begin to have affirmations or not have them, it guides your path, you know, and again, external, internal, what's happening at home with parents and family, what's happening in the workplace, what's happening with friends, it all, it all comes into play because I would say something like this. I've watched young women start at my organization and then become distracted with the prospect of getting married, right? You'll watch their whole trajectory change. They'll be go-getters and then they'll hit a certain age and their cohort is starting to get married. And then they become completely distracted with that, getting married, getting engaged. Oh, my friend got engaged or this person got engaged and then getting married and then losing the thread of who they are. You actually see it. And I always advise my young ladies, you can do both things. You absolutely can. And I just, I literally watch it unfold. And I think where are our distractions as women? And and I don't want to call family a distraction because it isn't, but I, I firmly believe that you can make both things work. And I believe that children of mothers who work in some capacity who even if if you're an at-home, if you're a stay-at-home mom, but you're making sure that you're getting your brain fed and you're going out and you're doing the things that keep you intact as a person, your children are happier. Children don't flourish under a mother that's just in service to them. It just doesn't make sense because they don't bring their whole self to the job. So I do try to make sure that I coach young ladies to watch out for the mommy trap and and the marriage trap. And you need to stay number one in all those scenarios. Because you were number one when you were trying to make it happen, right? right? You were making sure you were taking care of yourself physically, you were taking care of yourself emotionally. And then as soon as you began to feel like you have other people that you were responsible for, you relieve them of being responsible for themselves and you take on all the burden. And then the next thing you know, you're under all of this pile of actually self-fulfilling prophecy. And I think that's where I can see the challenges that happened for myself and that happened for other for other young women. Because the guy's never like, oh, I got it. I got a Zoom call. So I get I get to take mine. You got to figure it out. You know, (laughs) it's just right. 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 You got it out with the kids. Interesting. Very interesting. And I love that perspective. And I hope those, especially young women listening, are paying attention to this because it is a way that they get distracted. Yeah. And then they wake up at some point down the road, a few years, two years, three years, worse, and think, well, how did this happen? And then it's much more difficult for them to get back on the right path again. Yeah. 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 Often you they never do. Stay first you and you can do it. And you, you know, like I said, a lot of times you look back and when you have that conversation, when everything blows up, and your, your spouse is like, well, I didn't ask you to not have time for yourself. You built this. Right. You built this. So Right. Right. Exactly. Opportunities come and go for all of us. Yeah. And have you been good, Michelle, at grabbing opportunities? And then I'm going to ask you in, in with that, why do you think others let opportunities slip away from them? I have not always been good with grabbing opportunities. I think out of not complacency, but but literally fear. And then I got to the point and something I want to say to everyone, if you do not have a mentor, 
get yourself one. Mentors are angels that for whatever reason, unpaid, wanna help you get to the next step. And I didn't understand it until I started mentoring. And literally you're looking at another individual and you want them to be their best possible self. And you're coaching them through their demons. And you are, you're helping to light their path to where they need to go. Once I started being mentored, it changed my mind about myself. I would think to myself, why does this person think that I'm so fantastic or that I'm capable of doing this or capable of doing that? You know, I'll tell you a story that really helps put it together. Harvard Business School has these summer programs that they run every year for all different types of industries. And they have obviously one for nonprofits. And I remember a friend of mine told me about it about five years ago. And I looked at the application, Annette, and it wanted to know if you had any leadership, had you served on boards, what your leadership skills were, what committees you served on, all of this. And it was like a blank page for me. And I looked at that and I said, I'm not ready to apply for that, but I want to be ready. And it was like speaking something into the universe because five years later, I serve on three boards. I am the vice chair of one of them, the secretary and governance uh, chair, nominating chair on several committees. My mentor, when I said, I want to be able to apply for this, began to pave the way for me to take opportunities, to take the opportunities to get there. Would I have taken the opportunities in absence of a goal that I had? I don't know. But I kept thinking my fear wasn't there because I had the goal. I want to be able to go to the Harvard nonprofit week in, in July. And finally, you know, they didn't have it last year because of COVID. But this year, I just looked at the application two weeks ago and they're like, it'll go live at the end of the month. And I'm like, I'm ready. I'm ready for that. And taking opportunities made me ready. Just getting out there bit by bit and starting to serve, starting to say yes to the opportunities, even if you're afraid. I'm going to go back to guys. I have seen guys say yes to jobs that they were 50% ready for. And they said, I'll learn it when I get on the job. I think women definitely want to overcompensate. They want to be, they want to come in and be overly ready for the job. And it just doesn't make sense because we're smart and we're fast. Take that opportunity that scares you. Take that opportunity that challenges you. You will figure it out. Yeah, you're exactly right. And I've yeah. taken many of them and I figured it out on the fly. How about you? You sure have, me. <laughs> <laughs> you got that right, girl. So I have one last question for you. Investing in oneself and others is important if an organization is going to thrive. So do you invest in your employees? And more importantly, do you invest in yourself? Yes, I do. I believe in every employee that comes to me. I tell them to their face, I want you to be better equipped than when you came here. I believe in continuing education. I believe in professional development. I push every individual on my team, go to a conference, get your CFRE. I just pegged you for the Young Professionals Committee in this professional membership organization. Call XYZ person and get on that. I really believe that. And maybe it's because 
it helps me to think about who I was as a young person and, and being complacent and not pushing myself forward that I make sure that I'm a cheerleader for them. Because sometimes, you know what, if you don't tell people where you stand, they'll make it up. And I remind them all the time, I put money in the budget so that you can go out and hone your craft because you're going to bring it back to me. You're going to help the whole organization. And then when you leave here, you'll be better off. And you'll say, yes, I worked for Michelle and she was awesome. And she made me awesome. So yeah, <laughs> it's a win-win. <laughs> it is a win-win, isn't it? Yeah. And does Michelle invest in herself to make herself she often? Invest in herself. She absolutely does. I love going to conferences. I love reading great books and uh, books on leadership, books on organizational management. I love it. I love having, you know, coaching. And it's just interesting. I feel like I surround myself with, you know, all of my consultants my team even, they're always looking for great opportunities for me. So I feel like that's validation of who I am, that so many people want to, I guess, advance me. I appreciate it. I really, really do. I just, I just get wonderful surprises from people all the time. And, and I truly, truly appreciate it. We like good surprises, don't we? We like good surprises. <laughs> yes, we do. Yes. <laughs> Michelle, is there anything about your journey to greatness that we haven't covered that you'd like to share with other women? Um, believe in yourself. You know, the late fantastic musician Prince wrote a song, uh, and I think it was on his Diamonds and Pearl album, and it was called Cream. And he played it one time acoustically at a concert. And he said... This song is about me. I sing it to myself in the in the mirror. And it's really about being on top, you know, because cream rises to the top. And, you know, we were all like, wow, that's a really great self-affirming song. We thought it was about something else. We had no idea that it was about that. And I think that when you get up, it, it sounds so corny, but when you get up in the mirror, in the morning, affirm yourself, say, I'm going to do great things today. Before you go to sleep, say, you know what, if I don't have it worked out, please help me work it out overnight and wake up with great ideas. You know, I believe that you can download great ideas from the universe. Just, you know, stay present, be in love with yourself. Women know how to be in love with everybody else. I'm in love with my man or my partner. I'm in love with my kids. I'm in love with my family. Learn how to fall in love with you because that energy is profound and impactful. And it is okay. I give you permission to be in love with yourself. It's not narcissism. It's self-affirmation. Yeah, that's so, so brilliant. It really is. <laughs> and a great, great piece of wisdom to end our interview on for sure. So Michelle, thank you so much for taking time. I know you have lots of things pulling on your calendar with trying to run that nonprofit, especially in the middle of, of all the things that are happening with the pandemic. It's just been a pleasure to have you here with me today. Thank you, Annette. This has been so fun. And it's unlike any other interview that I've had, you know, the way that you've taken me down uh, the path has been wonderful. So it was really my pleasure. Thank you so much. And Michelle is another great example of how women are challenging the norm, making things happen and demanding their own greatness. So join me next time on the World's Greatest Women Show as another powerful woman's story unfolds. 